This is Dr. Benny Tate, and I would like to thank you for tuning in to this week's message at Rock Springs Church. Wherever you are, I hope that this message encourages you and helps you grow in your walk with God. Here's this week's message from Rock Springs Church. Let's take our copy of God's Word and let's stand. I'm going to preach for about an hour and 15 minutes. All right, let's stand. We're going to take our Bibles and stand. I'm kidding. Look what Luke chapter 7 verse 28 says. Jesus said these words. Get this, get this, team. He said, for I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Jesus said, listen, listen up close. You look around you. There's not a greater among you than John. Not a greater among you than John. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I want to take a little while today. On Father's Day, wishing all of our dads a happy Father's Day. But I want to take just a little while, and I want to talk to you about steps to becoming a great man. Steps to becoming a great man. Two little boys were having a discussion, and one little boy said, My daddy can beat up your daddy. <laughs> my, my, my daddy can beat up your daddy. And he said, No, no, no. He said, Yeah, my daddy can beat up your daddy. He said, See, let me tell you. He said, My daddy has a list. And he, this is a list of all the men in the community that he can beat up. And he said, my daddy put your daddy's name at the top of the list. And that little boy goes home and he tells his daddy that. He said, Johnny said his daddy's got a list and your name's at the top of the list. Well, this guy's six foot, six foot five inches tall. I mean, he's 250 pounds. He's got a bulging chest. He's got bulging biceps, kind of like myself. Uh, I mean, he's much of a man. And he says, in light of that, we're going down to his house. He goes down to the house and he knocks on the door. He said, I understand you've got a list of all the men around that you can beat up. <laughs> that little old frail guy, just a little old small petite guy. He said, yes, I do. I sure do. He said, I've got that list. He said, I understand my name's at the top of the list. He said, that's exactly right. He said, well, I'm here now. What are you going to do about it? He said, I'm going to take your name off the list, amen. <laughs> Steps to becoming a great man. Uh, guy goes into a Harley-Davidson dealership, and he wants to get him a Harley-Davidson. And he's over there looking at this Harley-Davidson Dyna Wide Glide, and the owner of Harley-Davidson walks up, and he says, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm looking at this Harley-Davidson Dyna Wide Glide. I'm thinking about getting it. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. He said, we don't sell Harleys to just anybody. If you get a Harley from us, you've got to be a man's man. You've got to be a real man. He said, so we don't just sell them. Can you prove that you're a man's man? Can you give me an example that shows that you really are a man's man? He said, yes, I can. He said, uh, one day I was out in the backyard, and he said, I had my steel chainsaw and was cutting down some limbs. And he said, lo and behold, I missed. And he said, I cut my wrist off. He said, I just took my other hand. He said, I just picked that wrist up. I walked to my pickup truck. I got some fishing line, and I sewed that wrist right back on. 
He said, my goodness, you are a man's man. He said, you can purchase anything you want in this store. That old boy said, all right. <laughs> a man's man. Now, look, there was a man in the Bible, and his name was John. And Jesus said, there's not a greater among you than John. So here's what I think we need to do. We need to look at John, men. And by the way, ladies, this contrasts to women too. You can just change the title, How to Become a Great Woman, because the principles are the same. But how, how can I become a great man? Well, let's just look at John and let's get our pail under his whale because it's wise to learn from experience, but it's wiser to learn from the experience of others. Let's just look at John. Let's get our pail under his whale, and let's learn how we can be a great man. We just got to look at the qualities in John's life and try to incorporate them into our lives. The first thing I see about John the Baptist, he recognized he needed a Savior. He recognized he needed a Savior. Now, let me explain. John makes a big splash. He comes on the scene. He's baptizing. He's eating honey and wild locusts. <laughs> clothed in camel's hair. I mean, he's making a big splash. He is a man's man. But he says something in John 1 and 20. He said, I want you to know something. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. And then in John 1, 29, he said, Jesus is the Christ. <laughs> he's the Lamb of God that takes away your sins. Here's what I want you to understand. Every man needs a Savior. You can't be the man that you ought to be until you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can't be the person that you need to be until you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's step number one, men. It's step number one, ladies, in being, listen, I'm not trying to make a Methodist out of you. I'm not trying to make a Baptist out of you. I'm not trying to make a Pentecostal out of you. I'm not trying to make a Presbyterian out of you. Listen. The Bible says, I know in whom I have believed. In whom? It's a person. It's not a which or a what. It's a person. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, Deion Sanders was a unique guy. Is a unique guy. This football player, do you realize that Deion Sanders won two Super Bowls? Boy, he was an athlete. He won two Super Bowls. But let me tell you about this guy. This is unique. Not only did he win two Super Bowls, but he played in two, he played in a World Series. Now, can you imagine the apex of football? You won that. But not only did you win the apex of football, but you also, the apex of baseball, you played in the World Series. He said, I had everything. I had everything going for me. You name it, I had it. But he said in 1997, I was so empty. By the way, folks, you can have everything the world offers and be so empty. You can have everything the world offers and be so empty. He said, I had everything the world offered, but yet I was so empty. So I decided in 1997 to drive my car off a 40-foot embankment and end my life. The man who had everything, neon, neon. And he did just that. 
But he survived. And he said, God must have a plan. God must have a plan. So Neon Dion got down on his knees and he gave his life to the Lord. He gave his life to the Lord. And he said, I went from the enemy's team to God's team. And here's all I want to say, men. You'll never be a great man unless you recognize your need for the Savior. You'll never be a great man unless you recognize the fact that you need Jesus. You can't be everything that you need to be without Jesus Christ. You can't be the husband. Men, you can't be the husband you need to be without Jesus. You can't be the father you need to be without Jesus. Ladies, any time that your husband spends with God, it will only make him a better husband. It will only make him a better father. It will only make him a better man. He recognized, I need a Savior. Let me tell you, there's a step number two. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's all I want to say. Don't turn me off. And don't think this is complicated because it's in no way complicated. I want to be real simple. Luke 1 and 15 says that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, get this. When you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. That's what Romans 8 and 9 says. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be, the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So when you, when you come to know Christ, understand something. The Holy Spirit comes into your life. You say, I'm not interested in the Holy Spirit. You don't know what you're saying. You can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that pricks our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit that shows us our need that we need God. So when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And look. When you give your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you're clean. You're just like this. You're clean. But let me tell you what happens. We give our lives to Christ and we're clean. But you know what many times happens? Stuff starts creeping in. Didn't mean for it to happen. I didn't mean to do that. I, I got with the wrong people. It wasn't meant to be that way. I, I didn't want it really to go that far. I really didn't. But it stuff just started creeping in. And before long, we're not so clean anymore. Has anybody ever been there and done that? Sure. Those that are not admitting it are habitual liars. But anyway. <laughs> but see, folks, that's why the Bible says in Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Why would he say to the church, why would he say to us that we need to constantly be filled with the Spirit? I'll tell you why. Because stuff has a way of creeping in. Stuff has a way of creeping in. D.L. Moody used to say, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And somebody asked him, Brother Moody, why do you pray that prayer, fill me with the Holy Spirit? He said, because I leak. I leak. 
And friend, you leak too. And things get into our lives. But when the Bible says, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what happens. When we're experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit, here's what starts happening. What happens? Stuff comes out of our life. Because when we get filled with God's Spirit, stuff starts being removed. Now, I want you to understand something, folks. If I'm filled with the Spirit, as Galatians 5, 16 says, walk in the Spirit, it can never get back down in there again. But listen to me, men. Listen to me. When we're not, it gets back down in there. Let me tell you something. You can have all of God that you want. You can have all of God that you want. But the only way to get more of God is to give God more of you. To give God more of you. Let me, let me, let me, let me tell you about John. He recognized he needed a Savior. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. But I want you to see something else. He was a man of prayer. You say, how do you know that? I know that. Because the scripture says concerning it in Luke 11 and 1, Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray just like John taught his disciples how to pray. Men, you have a responsibility to pray for your family. 1 Timothy 2 and 8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Nobody's going to pray for your wife. Nobody's going to pray for your children like you. You have a responsibility. God's given you that responsibility. And if we're going to become a great man, you're going to have to become a man of prayer, a man who prays for his family. Howard Hendricks, Researched over a two-year period, 246 men who messed up morally. These men were Christian men who had moral failures. You say, it can't happen to me. It happened to David. It happened to Solomon. It happened to great men in the Bible. 246 men over a two-year period that had a moral failure. He said there was one common denominator. Every man said, I abandon my time in prayer. I abandon my time in prayer. If the devil can't make you bad men, he'll make you busy. I got up one morning to rush into the day. I had so much to accomplish, I didn't have time to pray. Problems just tumbled about me. Heaven came each task. Why doesn't God help me? He replied, you didn't ask. I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on gray and bleak. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock, but God gently and lovingly chided, oh, my child, you didn't knock. I got up this morning. I paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish, I had to take time to pray. Charles Stanley said, men, 
Fight all your battles on your knees, and you'll win every time. Let me tell you the fourth quality of John the Baptist. He had a spirit of humility. In Matthew 3 and 11, he said, I'm not even worthy to unlatch his shoes. A spirit of humility. A great man serves his wife. A great husband serves his wife. A great husband serves his children. A great father serves his children because he has a humble spirit. He's a humble person. And God said this. He said, if we all humble ourselves, he'll exalt us. But he said, if you exalt yourself, he'll humble you. One Sunday I preached. I thought I did a pretty good job. Even a blind hog finds an acre every once in a while. We were riding home. I looked over at Barbara. I said, Barbara, how many really great preachers do you think there are in America? She said, one less than you do. <laughs> On a serious note, I've been married all these years. All these years. I've had a good marriage. 35 years. 35 years. So, Pastor Benny, did you all ever fuss? No. But we've had some intensive fellowship. <laughs> Made a pact we'd never go to bed upset at each other, never have. We've stayed up for two or three days at a time, but we've never gone to bed upset at each other. All that's joking, but I want to tell you something serious. For 35 years, Barbara's been praying for me. Same prayer. Every day. Same prayer. Every day. Never changed. 35 years. God, you keep Benny humble. You have him to always realize it's not him. God, I know it's not him. I know it's you. You keep him humble. Because God, if he's not humble, you can't use him. But if he's humble, you can use him. If he's humble, you will use him. So for 35 years, keep him humble. No matter what good things happen at Rock Springs Church, you keep him humble. Help him to realize it's not him, it's you. You're the one who deserves all the glory. You're the one who deserves all the praise. You're the one who deserves all the accolades. It's all about him. <laughs> Let me tell you something. What to make you a great man. It's when you have a spirit of humility and you realize it's not you, it's God. And if any good thing happens, it's only because of God. Let me tell you the fifth thing about John that made him a great man. He got down, but he went to the right place. Now, and now here's all I want to say. Men, you're going to get down. There are going to be times that you're going to get down. There are going to be times that discouragement is going to come. Hardships are going to come. Disappointment's going to come. And here's what I want to say to you. When you get down, whether it be in your work relationship, whether it be in your marriage, when you get down, because you will get down. You say, well, what about the happy, clappy preachers? Don't believe it. You, you will get down. Make sure 
you go to the right place. Make sure you go to the right place. Did John ever get down? Let's read about it. And when John had heard in the prison the works of Jesus, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? Let me give you the background. John's in prison. He's down. And look, he's questioning if, questioning if Jesus is really Christ. Let me tell you something. You can get so down, you wonder if there's really a God. Now, wait, this guy who's doing this, this is the one that was the greatest, remember? But he's so down, he's wondering, is he really the Christ? And look, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go show John again these things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, <laughs> the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And you tell John, blessed is he who's not offended in me. Blessed is he who's not offended in me. Here's all I want you to see, folks. John got down, but he went to the right place. He got down, but he went to the Lord. When you get down, go to the right place. You say, Pastor, is it okay to get down? Well, look what Proverbs 24 says. <laughs> the just man falleth seven times, but he gets right back up. It's not sin to get down, but it's sin to stay down. And when you get down, you need to turn your eyes on Jesus and get right back up. <laughs> Let me give you the sixth thing about John. He was like Jesus. <laughs> He was like Jesus because according to Mark 6 and 14, when Jesus comes on the scene, Herod thought it was John that had been resurrected from the dead. And lastly, men and ladies, what made John great is he brought others to Christ. He brought others to Christ. Somebody said, Pastor, how do you live your, how do you live, like, what, 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 is, what is your goal on life? Here's my goal. I can't impact everyone, but I can impact someone. And here's what I made up my mind. My sphere of influence, the people that I come in contact with, I don't come in contact with everybody, but the people that I come in contact with, I'm going to try to be an influence for God and for good in their lives. Whoever they are, I'm going to try to be an influence for God and for good. Now, men, listen. The first place we are to start is with our family. The first place you're to start is with your family. Look what Acts chapter 2 says. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, look, you come to know Christ, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But look what verse 39 says. For this promise is to you and to your children. This promise, so wait, Benny. 
This promise is to you and to your children. What was he saying? I have a responsibility for my wife and for my daughter. This promise is to you and to your children. Joshua 24 and 15 says, as for me and my house. See, it's wonderful to talk about my house, but wait. It begins with me. It begins with me. Me. Then it moves to my house. Me and we have a responsibility. You can laugh it off. Say, we're going to do this. No, no. No, you have a responsibility, sir. I want you to hear me because I'm, I'm preaching not from the top of my head, but from the bottom of my heart. Sir, you have a responsibility. Do you ever think about the first three questions in the Bible? Genesis 3, 9. Adam, where art thou? Genesis 4, 9. Where's your brother? Genesis 18, 9. Where's your wife? We have a responsibility. And it starts with our family. To bring them to a relationship with God. James Dobson. I remember years ago, I, I, this is it, I'm almost done. If you get finished before I do, slip out. James Dobson. I go to Colorado Springs, Colorado. Barbara and I go out there and I walk into this man's office. The man who started Focus on the Family. And I'm asking questions. James Dobson has a heart attack. He said, I had a heart attack and I was, I literally thought I was dying. I was there in the hospital and I thought I was dying. By the way, I've been with a lot of men when they died. None of them talked to me about how much money they made. I've held men's hands when they died. They never talked to me about how much land they owned or how much education they had. None of that mattered at that point. James Dobson said, I thought I was dying. And he said, I asked myself three questions. I'll never forget this. He said, question number one, who do I love? It's a good question. Who do I love? I don't want to win the world of God and lose my family. Who do I love? Who do I love? I've told Barbara and Savannah many times, I don't mean this wrong, but don't, don't, 
post anything on Facebook or all that stuff about me. Don't do that. As long as you think I'm a good husband and Savannah thinks I'm a good dad, I'm satisfied. It really doesn't matter what they think out there anyway. Who'd I love? It's a good question. Dobson said, but I moved to question number two. Who really loves me? Who really loves me? She said, well, I've got thousands of people that are wild about me. You might want to think long and hard about that. 30 minutes after you're gone, you know what they'll say? Pass the potato salad. You better pour into those people that are going to die, that are going to cry the deepest at your passing. You better pour into those people who you mean the most to. You better spend some time with them. Me and many times would be nicer to the lady at the convenience store, the waitress down at the restaurant than they are their family. said and I'm almost done will I spend eternity with the ones I love and he said my goodness I started focus on the family and I've got a son Ryan that's not even a Christian here I am started an organization to help families and I've got a son that's not even a Christian and he said, I started pouring into my son. I started building a relationship with my son. And he said, eventually, my son Ryan became a Christian. And he said, now he's a pastor. He said, thank God for the heart attack. Because it took the heart attack to make me realize what's really important. Let me tell you something, folks. Somebody said, Pastor, every year I wear this watch on Father's Day. I've often said it's the only thing my biological father ever gave me. When I met him the first time, he said, he looked down at my wrist, he said, got a cheap watch on, don't you? I said, yeah. He said, I want to get you one. That's the only thing he ever gave me and I wear it every year on Father's Day but he gave me something else he gave me life because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him he gave me life but let me tell you something many times we say we can't take anything to heaven with us that day I met my dad for the very first time 30 years old I'll never forget what he said as we ended the conversation. He said, we didn't spend any time here with one another. And now I'm dying. But he said, we can spend eternity together. He said, we can spend eternity together. Let me tell you something. Somebody said, you can't take anything to heaven. Yeah, you can. You can take your family. <laughs> you can take your family. Sure you can. Friend, I trust the message today has spoken to your heart. 
And if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I want to challenge you to do that today. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And I've often said, it's as simple as ABC. A stands for acknowledge. You've got to acknowledge that you're a sinner. B stands for believe. You've got to believe that Christ and His blood was shed on the cross for your sin. And then C, you simply must confess your sins to Him. I want to encourage you right now to repeat a simple prayer with me. I'll pray the prayer. You repeat it with me if you'd like to accept Christ as your personal Savior. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. But God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm so sorry I want to change. I believe that you died for my sin, and I confess my sin to you right now. Come into my heart, Lord, and forgive me of all my sin. Now, thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you for coming in to my life. Amen. Friend, congratulations on the greatest decision that you'll ever make. And I want you to know, this decision is not based on how you feel right now. Because God's not a feeling. He's a fact. This decision is based on the fact that you have done what God's Word says you must do to have eternal life. So congratulations on the greatest decision you'll ever make. And thank you for being with us today. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.